everyone, welcome back once again. You have risen yourself way up above the clouds, past Corin's tower with the dodgy looking sensu beans, and arrived at your destination, which is up on the lookout. Up on the Lookout is a Dragon Ball themed podcast, but with a much more casual spin. And if you are enjoying this, please do rate and review on your respective podcasting platform, as that means we'll be able to make the word of the Lookout reach even more people. But I'm not doing this alone. I am also joined by my regular host, co-host Havrock. Hello, I'm the guy who's not Masako who's in this podcast. And we are also joined by our guest. He is a fantastic artist with his own collection of characters such as Bunny Girl and then of course a series which I also take part in, Rocketo Punch. It's something that really showcases his talent for animation and writing and, and illustration. It's of course Nexus Mania. Hello everyone. I'm not Masako nor Habrock. I'm Nexus Mania. Hi. Without further ado, with our guests now settled down in their respective chairs, let's get started. So, Nexus, hi. Welcome to the lookout. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Doing my thing. Doing my stuff. The stuff that you do is really quite varied, and I believe one of your recent gigs, as it were, is working with friend of the channel, really, totally not Mark. How have things been going with that? Well, actually, it's been great. Today is like the first approach I am having with Dragon Ball in weeks, because Mark uh, at this time is doing One Piece videos. Oh yes, yes. I've been I've been watching those. I'm I myself am in a similar position of never really reading or seeing any of One Piece except of Purple Eyes's non-piece, but that doesn't really count. I've been really finding those entertaining and the art and the editing is really, really good for that. And it really pleases my heart with an editor for a YouTube channel really puts their stamp on there. One Piece is like my favorite thing ever. I, I <laughs> like I, I love One Piece more than I love Dragon Ball or actually anything. <laughs> so I'm really happy working on this. I must admit for the first hundred chapters, the two videos I've seen with Mark, I can really understand the appeal of One Piece more after having watched this video. So if you out there haven't actually watched Mark's video about it, I strongly recommend that you do because it is a really insightful look into somebody who is really fresh when it comes to Eiichiro Oda's work. If you do want to read the manga, you totally can do so. What other things have you been doing recently? Because usually you do a challenge in May. How did that go? Oh, yes. Uh, that's the Mia Mafuda. Um, it went really well. Uh, I succeeded. I finished the daily challenge. And now I'm doing like, I'm trying to boost my Twitter account, like with more activity and stuff. I'm drawing. Well, technically this month, I'm just drawing things I like. Uh, I've been drawing Astro Boy characters and I'm also working on comics, comics, a lot of comics, uh, comics that have been commissioned. And I'm also working on uh, that show on YouTube called Dragon Ball r and I think we heard about it. Yeah, yeah no, we might have heard about this, but yeah, you're working on episode six, I believe. So the, then the next one coming in the second half. Yes, episode six, the nightmare, Tenshin Han, and just is he's so hard to draw. <laughs> also, let me just uh, come back to like Nexus solo projects. Like, I think like a filler, a filler girl's room was 
kind of amazing and and was really fun you know to watch unfold uh and you all should watch nexus video about how how it was unfolding because i think it's a very fun project yeah it was it was really fun and also uh, i've been working secretly on videos on my own because my youtube channel is kind of dead so i want to yeah, you know bring some content Oh yes, of course, because you can easily find Nexus by just typing Nexus Mania on YouTube and boom, it's pretty obvious. You can't miss his work. And I will say actually working on Rocketo Punch, uh, you know, voicing that character is just so much fun to do because, you know, it's a bit like the Goku voice, but just a bit more kind of lazy and more apathetic than Goku. So it's just like, you know, pod, what the heck are you doing? Just kind of like something reminds me, it's like almost the adult Gohan I never got to do. So that that was definitely a really nice outlet for that potential voice. The character Rocky is like the complete opposite of everything you could possibly do with Goku, Gohan or Goten. Like he's a very pessimistic guy, <laughs> a very depressed guy. It was really fun. Uh, I, I want to retake that comic eventually because uh, chapter one is still not done. So I want to do more animation work in the future. That was really fun to see that animation. And if you want to see any of like Nexus's original work, we will provide the all the relative uh, goodness in the show notes below. So if you want to give that a look while you're listening to the podcast, do give it a gander. Before we get into the main topic today, which is talking about Dragon Ball in Central, Latin and South America, and basically the general vibe there and how it's different to the West and Japan, we want to start things off with something a little bit different, and maybe, for us especially, quite catastrophic. Today's mini topic concerns something I did for a video about roughly, ooh, 18 months ago, and it certainly got people worried because people thought I was actually going to be doing what I was talking about in that video. And that is the topic of what things made me almost almost quit Dragon Ball. There were plenty of times for that with me. And, uh, you know, I can easily just talk about that myself. But first off, just briefly, how did you discover Dragon Ball yourself? What was that instant spark that you had for the show? So I had the tendency of playing video games uh, at afternoon after doing homework. One day that I didn't want to play anything and I just turned on the TV and I saw this show for the first time, which it was featuring this weird kid with a tail fighting a dragon in a tournament. And it was like, wow, what is this? Yeah, that, that it just, it, to be honest, it was kind of the same thing with me. Um, that, I mean, granted, there was a lot of hype around the year 2000 with Dragon Ball in the UK. And yeah, I was a bit more prepared than you might have been next, but it was still something that really gripped me in a way that no other show had gripped me before. I was only really just coming online, as it were, to the idea of anime being a thing. Like, this show wasn't from America. It was from Japan. What? At the same time, I was a very petulant teenager with very little patience. So there were plenty of things throughout my formative years that almost made me quit Dragon Ball. And with me, it was the fake Nemec saga, which was the first thing that really made me think, well, why why am I even here? (laughs) 
I thought the Potofu arc was bad in Super. No, this was the thing that started it all off. I mean, yeah, episode 41, it was just like, oh, no. I, I had no idea this was filler. I had no idea that the manga was a thing back in the day. I knew nothing about this show. I thought it was just an anime or just a TV show. I had no idea about Dragon Ball's legacy because this was just before... Yeah, we had broadband. This is when we had dial-up, and trying to download a four megabyte AMV of Dragon Ball took the whole day. Oh, the struggle! I remember that. It was awful. Oh, the, the first the first day we had broadband, and the fact that you could load a load uh, a web page within like ten seconds. Which, I mean, these days is now even then that slow. Yeah, back then, 10 seconds for a web page, and that's a really basic Java page with you know, with frames and stuff like that. So really simple. Still, that blew my mind back in the day. One of my oldest friends, he basically told me, oh, hey, they got past that right now, so you can get back to it. So it was just like, we could go back inside now and actually continue with the show. But uh, with the Nemec saga, when Goku shows up on Nemec, we had to maybe deal with it for about... Well, I don't know, about six months or so before the, you know, the anime continued on. So we didn't have to wait that long as people did in America. But it was still something that, again, really impatient 13 year old, I could not stand. And I feel so uncultured. I just feel so bad about it. Jeez. There was uh, the that period between uh, the end of Z uh, on TV and then Kai coming out those six years. It started off okay because we got we finally in, in the UK got Dragon Ball and oddly GT at the same time, which was really strange. Unfortunately, I had to share our satellite subscription with my dad. This is a guy who, when he first saw Perfect Cell, just looked and said, why is that man in green trousers screaming? <laughs> no, Perfect Cell is wearing the perfect sweatpants. It just like, oh, man. So I, I was having to deal with an uphill battle there. My parents not knowing a thing about anime. Dragon Ball Evolution, that almost tipped me over. Although having said that, I didn't really hate it as much when I went to actually see it in the cinema. I was more confused than enraged, but that quickly changed over time. The first half, first half, absolutely dreadful. Second half, not so bad. That gi that Justin Chatwin wears is actually pretty awesome. But the rest of it, though, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just feel bad for Paul Justin. I, I, I do too, but it, it made me feel a little bit better seeing him in Doctor Who about like seven years later when he was like the ghost. Oh yeah, right. Oh, oh finally, after seven years, I can star in something. Yeah, with the character whose name begins with a G as well and who can fly. I wonder if anybody in the costume department of that show actually knew him as Goku or Giko. I'm sorry, if I was working on the Doctor Who crew, I would have said something. I would have definitely said something. And he probably would hate me and ask me to be fired. <laughs> he probably does not want to talk about it. I, I don't blame poor guy for about this. So for me, Dragon Ball was always something about, you know, the humor, the adventure, specifically the adventure is what I like the most. Uh, it's one of the reasons of why One Piece is one of my favorite things ever because of the adventure. So when there was this whole shift in Dragon Ball Z, the Cell Saga was the one that made me almost quit the show. Really? Yes. I was really, really bored of the fighting. I, I do not like the fighting in Dragon Ball. Can you believe that? <laughs> wow. Okay. I, I, I must admit that, you know, the Cell Saga almost made you switch off. Gosh. Yeah, it was between the, the androids and the whole Cell hunting down 18 that really made me feel really, really tired of 
of the show. But what kept me interesting much later was the whole training with Gohan and Goku. Uh, I, I thought that was the only interesting part of the show at that point. I, I didn't care at all about the fighting with Trunks and Vegeta and the rest of the guys. I did not care about that. So when Gohan fights Cell, I was really, really excited. But the Cell Saga was really painful for me specifically because it, it, it wasn't the Dragon Ball I liked anymore. Wow. I mean, already you just came in with a pile driver. Jeez. Like, like I mean, I, I totally respect that. And there, I, you do have a point with the bit with Semi-Perfect Cell. When I first saw that, I it did drag a little bit. I mean, it was only nine episodes long, that bit, between, you know, first form and then you get to set a perfect cell. This is one of the reasons of why I like the the Gohan going to high school arc, because it's really stupid and dumb, but that's what I like the most about Dragon Ball. Uh, it felt like a completely different show. It felt like a bit refreshing at that time. But I really, really like those episodes till this very day. And it's just so funny to see Gohan just being completely inept at reading how girls work. Just like he has no idea. This is going to be also just really cringy to watch. I feel bad for him, but also really entertaining. It's the most human uh, Toriyama wrote Gohan, wrote those characters in a way. I sort of could relate to that because around about that time, you know, around about Gohan's age and when when I was watching the show, I, w- I was pretty much like the outcast in, the, in, in school. Like I, you know, I wasn't unpopular per se, but... People didn't want to be my friend. I wasn't cool. I think I actually remember the teachers telling my parents at a parents' evening, the kids say it's not cool to be friends with Lawrence. I actually like my own company. So yeah, to be honest, it didn't bother me as much. But when I look back at it now, I go like, oh, man. Um, I mean, the other part of my life where I was like, okay, I don't want to watch Dragon Ball anymore was also in Boo Saga because, um, okay, when... Majin Buu appears for the first time. I was really worried because I thought it was coming back to the just fighting stuff. But then a lot of cool thing happened. Like, I don't know, mm, Fusion, uh, Satan, befriending Buu. Uh, it became just a fighting show again with, uh, you know, Super Buu fighting Gotenks and then Gohan and then Goku and then Vegeta and so, so, so on. I was really, really bored of the show at that point. Until uh, until the last, f- the final battle in the Kai planet with Goku and Vegeta. Oh yes, yes, of course. That 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 bit that bit's a classic. I actually felt uh, Kid Buu as a very very menacing threat, and it was really interesting in how these guys that are clearly uh, the weaklings here are gonna defeat this massive force of nature. <laughs> So after that, uh, Dragon Ball ended and we had Dragon Ball GT. And you know, GT, like, okay, (laughs) Uh, para para para. No, thank you. (laughs) I think, haven't I I say that we tend to appreciate and respect GT more as we get older? Like we can, we tend to see much more about what they were trying to do. Failing to do, but trying to do. Trying is a very important word right there. I I finished uh, rewatching GT like a month ago and it was quite the experience like it was bad at times but it wasn't as bad as i remember it yeah i feel like if people actually sat down and gave gt a chance right now that they wouldn't say it's the greatest thing of all time absolutely not but they would you know go 
You know what? It's not that bad. I mean, especially if they listen to the subversion, and Pan is nowhere near as annoying in that. In Poland, like, we didn't really hate GT. It was like, okay, just another Dragon Ball series. Like, I remember, you know, personally don't liking the idea of Goku being a kid again. I thought it was kind of meh. Because I hoped for Gohan or Goten having some screen time. But I will tell you what we did love. Like, our version was based on the French version. We had, through entirety of Z, this uh, nightmarish intro of Dragon Ball Z, Z, Z. And when we finally get the original Japanese uh, opening and ending for GT, that was the best thing in the world. And we were like, whoa. I know about this theme that you shared with me, Have, and I'll try and find I'll try and find the link to it and I'll put it in the show notes. That means people can share your utter confusion from when you were watching Dragon Ball. But speaking of which, yeah, well, let's just touch upon you, Have. Have there been any moments where you were just like almost wanting to head out of this series? Like just like check out you know like like i don't treat i think any series that i follow as oh i quit oh i don't quit like it's I, i'm more of a guy oh you know i feel like watching it right now i think that my interest with dragon ball faded out naturally like i was following uh, following uh, it mostly around like what you would call the middle school. Later on, we, we had a break, but obviously, like, I played some of the games uh, through emulation and such, you know, like, uh, like, you know, all the, all the hyper budotens and stuff, some of the older, you know, SNES titles. So, uh, I remember being hooked, hooked up on those. And later on, you know, when, when it, quote unquote ended right after after gt i was like okay like it ended time to move on and honestly the first thing that kind of got me back was funnily enough xenoverse one and that got me to watch battle of gods and second was dragon ball zia bridge mass ah (laughs) flattery will get you everywhere Okay, well, no, but that that's that's really that was really good. That we had like a nice mix of everything. Like yours have was like kind of just you know slowly phasing out of it. Next, you had these moments which I never anticipated, and for me, it was just me being impertinent as a teenager and being utterly impatient and being a real jerk when it comes to being a fan. So yeah, I some fan I was back then. With that, talking about Dragon Ball and what made us almost quit. We'll actually then move on to something which actually has kind of really instilled passion within Dragon Ball in another region that is unexpected from what we are used to. We are moving down to the South Americas. So for today's maxi topic, we're going to be doing something which I think what really opened my eyes to this was the whole thing about Mexico and in Latin America and South America. Just this idea of Dragon Ball sparking a diplomatic incident between Mexico and Japan. The fact that they wanted to show Dragon Ball Super, the last two episodes of it, the really, really, really good ones, uh, the one with tons of Natoshi Shida, um, and uh, Japan and Toei were just like, no. And ultimately, they had to get the Japanese embassy telling the Mexican government, just go like, 
no, you have to stop this. It sparked that kind of incident. I mean, it was resolved by them not taking any ticket sales. Like it was just a big public free gathering. But still, the fact that that anime can do that just shows there is a huge popularity in that part of the world. My only direct link to this was like on Goku Day, I did like a thing and I tagged everyone on Twitter, like the five Gokus that I could find. Uh, Peter Kalamas um, liked it and Mario Castagnoga liked it as well. So I was like, hey, that's awesome. I didn't get a chance to talk to him when I was at Khmercon when he was a guest, but he seems like a really cool guy. I've done videos on like things about different regions in Dragon Ball. So I've done videos about, you know, the, you know, stuff in the UK. I've done stuff about with the Portuguese audience, which really went down well. And of course, have we worked together on a video about, you know, the Polish fandom of Dragon Ball. So looking at different regions. So it really hit home with me directly for the first time. It's sort of in Spain, because in Barcelona, Philly and I, my wife, we were just walking along, just finding all these different you know, different alleyways looking for shops and boom, we found a Dragon Ball themed shop. All Dragon Ball, absolutely everything. And I bought a Nanoblock Raditz from there because I was just thinking, I've got to buy something from here. But the it was decked out as Kame House, like the entire shop. It was just, wow. The level of dedication of that, it was just gave me that little sliver of what you could expect in South America, Central America, Latin America. I, I didn't want to just talk about, you know, from what my point of view was. I actually, uh, about a couple of weeks ago, asked you guys out there, my listeners and subscribers on my channel, to provide um, little snippets and tidbits of your point of view from your respective countries. So we actually have a few um, audio. The first one we're going to be playing is from Alexandre Ribeiro, and he is going to be talking about what, you know, his take on Dragon Ball was and what his opinions were. So take it away, Alexandre. Hey, Masako. Um, here in Brazil, Dragon Ball, and more specifically Dragon Ball Z, not so much the original Dragon Ball, was one of the most popular anime of the late 90s and early 2000s, and it did experience a revival when Super started. The dub cast is pretty well known too, and is also known for other roles they performed. Uh, in particular, I could mention Wendell Bezerra, who voiced out of Goku, as well as SpongeBob, Bear Grylls, and many others. Um, his sister Ursula, who also voiced Naruto, and Tanega Idarji, the the voice of Boma, who also voiced Paradox from Saint Say Omega. That that is definitely one place that I know that the Dragon Ball fandom is absolutely legendary in Brazil because I follow Formula One and I know that Akira Toriyama was a fan of the late great Eton Senator Silva. And it was just like them getting to meet was something really, really cool. And I did do a video about like Dragon Ball and Formula One. So that was, that was in of itself. I'll leave a video to that or a link to that in the show notes. Sorry. But just, I know Brazil is like in my top 10 audience. So if you are listening from Brazil to the game, before we actually listen to some more uh, tidbits next. So you hail from the country of Chile. Yes. Take us through yeah your point of view next of the Chilean fandom of Dragon Ball. Chilean fandom of Dragon Ball and other specific animes, it's insane. It's like the most insane thing you could possibly imagine. Like it's it's more like being a fan. It's like a way of living. Dragon Ball is that one show that you are gonna watch with your family, with your sons, your children stuff. And it's probably 
going to be like that in the next generations. <laughs> it's really, really crazy. Already, from what you just said there, just that small snippet is just way different to how it is in the West. I mean, you have to have your parents be anime fans to then actually watch that with their children. And yeah, it'll that will improve in time. And that means, yeah, Dragon Ball in the West will sort of be like that. But we're like probably 20, 30 years behind the curb because especially in the UK, I mean, like Dragon Ball. I mean, I remember the Dragon Ball Super Broly movie that coming here. And people were still like, what? What's Dragon Ball? Here in Chile is like very extreme. Like, I mean, it's like I told you, it's like a way of life. Like you're, for example, you're walking on the street. Remember those days when you can actually walk on the street? <laughs> and there's going to be a guy playing the guitar in the street and he will be playing Chala Hechala. And a lot of people will recognize the song like something natural, like, like just a regular song, you know? That one song that everybody knows, and it's draggable. Something so natural at this point, like it's part of the culture, much like The Simpsons. I I, I have a neighbor that plays an instrument. Uh, it's probably saxophone or so. I, I'm not sure. But he always tries to play uh, the GT opening. Uh, so long as it's not step into the grand tour, you know, then that's absolutely fine. Because... <laughs> Dandan is like one of those things, like even if you are not a fan of GT, you like that, you like that song. I mean, yeah, even if it's the original one or if it's the one by Zard, because for those of you who don't know, Zard, who did the um, ending Don't You See, which is my favorite GT ending, um, it's between that and Sabutsuita Machine Gun. I have a story that happened a few years ago. There were like a lot of protests regarding the students here in Chile because the educational system being bad and all this stuff. There was this event where a lot of students uh, were in, in front of the, I believe it was the, what you can call here the government house. Uh, they actually did a giant Genkidama. It was like a giant, huge balloon. And they, th they threw the thing uh, to the authorities. <laughs> it was really insane. <laughs> oh my, really? Yeah, and the Latin American cast of of the original dub uh, contributed with like messages like, you know, um, Mario Castaneda and the other guys sent messages doing the character voices to Chile, like giving their support and stuff. You feel that that familial connection between all the different places that get all these different dubs just feels like they're much more aware of their characters and wish to actually use their platforms you know, to really spread good words and stuff. So, wow, I that, I have no idea about what that was going on. But the fact that it's just a giant balloon Genki Dharma, that's just amazing. There are videos on YouTube about that, if anyone uh, is interested in seeing that. We should do that to our politicians here in Poland. That's a good idea. <laughs> Even now, I know that Dragon Ball's been around for so long, but I think the last instance of me going like having a double take on TV is uh, one of the latest Eurovisions or something like that. I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but it was the Hungarian entry and they did the Ginyu Force pose right at the end of their set. And it was like, wait, sorry, what? That, that, those are the common things. You know that there's a Dragon Ball fan in there is if they do the fusion pose or if it's the Ginyu Force pose. Those are the two real kind of seriously yeah those two poses are the ones that you know 
you know, those are the most distinctive, okay, that's Dragon Ball. Because you can do the pose with the Kamehameha, that's all very well and good. But that could be, and that is often sometimes I confuse, could be just a Hadouken. You know, it could be just one of those things. So you could confuse it for that. But if you're doing the Ginyu pose or the fusion pose, yeah, that's that's straight up that's straight up Dragon Ball appreciation. Dragon Ball uh, was kind of back in Hungary because, like, uh, Hungary was was back in back during the times of my childhood and my teenage life a common uh, direction of vacations. You know, when you wanted to go outside of the country, and I remember getting my first Dragon Ball toy in Hungary, and I think I I remember there being loads of them. I remember somehow there being a yeah an ad for in '98 or something like that for you know the video about the legendary Dragon Ball Z. Okay, this is definitely before Dragon Ball Z because you don't say Dragon Ball Z unless unless you're that unless you're that French theme, obviously. But even then, that's Dragon Ball Z Z Z. Again, I I will uh, I will go back to that briefly because basically, when you see that theme, it's so happy, but it's Gohan being beaten by Raccoon. It's like <laughs> what? I, I, I'm linking that to to, to next because it makes Raccoon look like a main villain. We gladly we glad gladly got like the original score for everything. Like we got the original openings, original endings, and the original soundtrack, the Kikuchi soundtrack. You know, I remember when I first saw Chala had Chala in German because like we had some German channels and I found, and I'm like, why don't we have this? This is awesome, you know? Like, like we learned German in school, so I like started to watch some of the episodes in German, but I quickly discovered that the, at least the version we had wasn't was it censored and the German one was. We we have we have a few more clips to play. So our next one is uh, Marcos from Argentina. So take it away, Marcos. I strongly believe that there were football divided us. Uh, Dragon Ball brought us together because it didn't matter where, what team you were cheering for or what country you were from or what social status you were born into you will like Dragon Ball. And it was something that you could share and be friends uh, with other people. Marcos right there, I think that was just going, continuing what you were saying next. It's just like, you know, it was one of those commonality things that everybody you know, had. You know, Dragon Ball, it was like common currency. Like, it's to be expected. Uh, here in, in Latin America, uh, uh, football soccer is like a huge thing. Chile is world famous because not because of the team, but because of the audience that went into the stadiums. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, the English audience is famous in its own way. <laughs> yeah. So, so Latin America is a huge, it's a huge deal. Uh, it makes a huge deal about football soccer. Like you will see uh, shirts uh, with Goku uh, wearing another football team's shirt. Can you get that picture in your head? Because <laughs> that's something that's like a, like a huge popular meme here. Like there's a lot of people wearing shirts of Goku wearing another team's shirt. Oh, wow. That sounds meta. That sounds really meta. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I find it. It does make sense because I do see a lot at anime conventions like football themed and soccer themed 
Dragon Ball shirts. And that's the that's the biggest sport that I see connected to Dragon Ball. And I suppose it's just because of the physicality of it and the sheer like strength and agility that you see on display in soccer. I used to like soccer when I was a kid. I don't really like it anymore. I've kind of gone more towards cars. But, you know, I, you know, at the time, you know, I was a, you know, a junior gunner. So I was like the arse of uh, Arsenal. So that I used to like, I used to like them. And I think our next, uh, our next clip is from, uh, Sinobia. So this one is, um, back to Brazil again. So take it away. I mean, here in Brazil, it was, it's not just an anime. It was a way of life. My grandmother knew most of the cast. My grandmother knew what a Kamehameha was. At school, we would try to do the moves. I still remember to this day when we had, for the first time, the episode with a universal Genkidama against Kid Buu, and everyone put their hand up. Everyone tried to follow Gohan's lessons in the flying from the episodes where he's with Vidal. So Dragon Ball was, and still is, a part of life, just as much as school or just as much as anything else ever was. Well, even already, uh, yeah, their, their their grandma knows way more about Dragon Ball than my dad does. You know, if he thinks that's you know the main baddie wears you know tracksuit bottoms and stuff like that. But the fact that you know three generations like that are even aware of what a Kamehameha is—that's amazing. Just that sheer affinity. That really sounds like it brings families together. That just sounds really inspiring. I love that. I love hearing about this. It's kind of funny that uh, more people on the uh, in the world are probably associating Kamehameha with Dragon Ball than the actual person. That's kind of funny. Yeah, and, and to be honest, the more I hear about this, the more it makes total sense that for the Tokyo Olympics, whenever they do take place, Goku's one of the ambassadors for it. So it's like, of course, you know, that would be that'd be huge. I mean, I imagine if they had merch for that, it would in South America, Central America, Latin America, it would sell like hotcakes. It's just like it makes total sense because I can imagine Goku wearing like, you know, a football, you know, a football soccer shirt. Again, that thing about Tokyo Olympics using their anime characters as mascots in a way makes perfect sense. The next clip we're going to be playing is from Javier and they are from Colombia. So take it away, Javier. This one is quite a very extensive one. Well, Dragon Ball for me, it's a huge influence, particularly. I'm 27 years old. I have been watching it ever since I was five, probably. Uh, we didn't have the issues that the English fandom had, so we started properly with Dragon Ball. And it was always not just so cool, but also very inspiring, not in a, you know, extremely transcendental way or anything, but it also shows a little kid, you know, growing up, uh, climbing its way to the top of the martial arts world always very funny be with a lot of mystical elements that was the original dragon ball and then with zeta yes i'm not saying dragon ball z but although i just did it became an amazing ride especially as i was growing up that whenever you have certain patterns in your personality you don't feel like you fit in dragon ball showed me a lot of different characters interacting with each other so it was a good way not an escape but a way to actually articulate myself with my environment and it was pretty cool i mean we even had 
Halloween seasons in which everybody in my school will dress up as a turtle school student. We all thought we were Goku, but although sometimes people thought they were Krillin, but it was pretty cool. And it actually shaped my views of anime, manga, shonen, and a lot of stuff. So Dragon Ball has a special place, not just in my heart, but in my memories and soul. Yeah, so... Again, it's just, it really touches people's soul. And I do love the fact that, you know, people aspire to be Krillin. You know, because the Krill dog is always there too. Because he's the best friend of Goku. And that counts for a lot. Uh, well, Krillin was my favorite character at some point. <laughs> uh, when I was watching Dragon Ball for the first time, I just thought it was so badass that he was actually trying to fight Goku seriously the best way he could possibly could. Uh, that that earned my admiration for the character. It was sad to see him die a few episodes later, though. But then, then he fights against Piccolo and has one of the most memorable fights of the OG Dragon Ball series. So he still was pretty cool. Yeah, he had certainly had his moments, definitely. And I, I just wish that in Super, that when he got that new power, it actually led somewhere although although having said that i'm i am glad we saw solar flare times 100 super was really mean with krillin fans <laughs> at least he got something cool yeah at least he got some uh, something in moto arc yeah but still it's still a bit sad that these characters are there just for i don't know having them doing stuff but they're the stuff they do is not actually meaningful to the story in any sort of way. That, that, that's why I love the Tournament of Power, because, again, I was doing some research, and it's just the fact that we were slating the Tournament of Power, getting really bored of Jiren and stuff like that. Then you get, like, you know, the, in, in, all, in the other Americas, it's just like, you get Gohan Blanco and El Hermano. They're like, yeah, instead of us complaining and moaning about all of this, we're going to add our own element to this and just be, like, creative. And it's just like, okay, let's just come up with our own headcanon and just like everyone and everyone in that region is going you know what okay let's just roll with it and it's, i love it i'm so glad shaggy blanco exists <laughs> oh yeah and i love the fact that it that's it persists it el, el hermano has just got gone ultra instinct shaggy persists and it's and it's now the most well-known thing also i wanted to ask something ne next and that uh, and javier's sound file uh, reminded me of something do you have any weird translations in in, in your version of dragon ball are there any weird dubisms we do uh i was i was talking to to anime aj the other day about this uh, chichi was translated to milk it sounds funny in English, but it seems that Shichi means something like uh, in Spanish means like a way to referring uh, a woman's personal parts for, <laughs> for say the least. Uh, I'm not really sure in which country this is, but uh, that's, that's probably the reason why they did change uh, Chichi to milk. There was this, uh, Dragon Ball came first here to South America using, uh, this, this very early version. Uh, how was it called? The Harmony Gold version. At, at first they used this version to, uh, dub Dragon Ball and broadcast it in Latin America. So for instance, they kind of changed a lot of names. Like for example, on this very first dub, Goku was called Zero. Uh, Krillin was <laughs> Krillin was called Cachito, and the Dragon Balls were called uh, 
actual fireballs. Bolas de fuego in Spanish. I mean, to be to be quite honest, Korean looks like a cachito. <laughs> it fits him. Then, uh, so Harmony Gold had like just the f- first five or six episodes dub, I think, I believe. So uh, there's this this uh, Mexican company uh, started to work with the with the Japanese version of Dragon Balls, and so they they redubbed the whole thing using the original names. So Zero turned into Goku again, Kachito turned into Krillin again, and so on. And they started using, like, you know, uh, they dubbed the original opening, the original ending, and they used the Kikuchi score. Krillin was called Kachito. That's funny. That's really funny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I I love how all the different regions have their own little quirks like that, certainly. But we're going to move on to our next clip, and it's from Alvaro, and uh, we'll let them speak for themselves. Hi there, Mazako. This is Alvaro from Mexico. Uh, Dragon Ball is a very big part of the young culture over here. There's not a single state in the country that you won't see Dragon Ball merch, whether it be directly from, you know, Toei and Bandai, or just this off-brand toys that people sometimes make. I don't know exactly how. Uh, But we all grew up with Goku just as much as anyone on the USA or perhaps even on United Kingdom. To the point where, uh, I mean, pretty sure you knew, back on the ending days of Dragon Ball Super, there were these gatherings just to watch the episodes, and it's wonderful. Yeah, so exactly what we're talking about there with those screenings, just absolutely fantastic. And Alvaro just speaks out perfectly. I mean, I I um I went to San Antonio, like I've been to San Antonio twice actually, and I know it, and it has a really big Mexican population. And the love for Dragon Ball in all the different small little shops when you just go walking about the city, it's still yeah you know, a little snapshot because you know Mexico is somewhere where I eventually do want to go and yeah visit eventually. Speaking about the toys, you guys remember when we saw a toy of our our version of Raditz somewhere? Oh yes, the Lego to that Lego toy. Oh, I have that, and I was able to give that one to Kevin, our guy who voices Raditz, so he has one too. Yeah, no, I I made sure to buy two. So I made sure to, that he got one and it was just like, this is just, this is just, there's no, there's no bones about it. it it's rad. It's absolutely. Uh, our last one comes from Francisco and uh, he's got another quite extensive one, but let's hear what he has to say. But Masako, 60 seconds is nowhere near enough for a Latin American to talk about Dragon Ball. I'm sorry, I had to put that over there. <laughs> Basically, everyone in here, especially in places like Mexico... Mexico, everyone knows what Dragon Ball is. Even if they don't know jack about anime, they know what Dragon Ball is. My mom, she doesn't know nothing about Dragon Ball, but she she calls it the Goku thing. And I'm just like, yes, mom. And she would like, she would see Piccolo, she would see Tenching, and she would be like, is that Goku? Yes, mom, that's Goku right there. I love my mom. <laughs> 60 seconds is still, still a little time, man. I don't know what else to say, but basically that's the gist of it. Everyone knows it, and it holds some sort of place in everyone's heart in here. I hope that you can get. I hope that you can get something useful out of this. Anything. Um, uh, love the content, dude, and keep up the good work by all means, please. I hope that we continue to see to hear from you, especially for many years to come, Massacre. Really, really appreciate you, man. 
He's right, though. Like, it's really difficult to talk about this in like just 60 seconds. It's such a huge thing here. I think, I think that in of itself is part of what I was going for. As in, like, if you could like talk to anyone in the West and in Europe, they could probably talk about it in 60 seconds and be done with that. But just hearing from all of these people that we heard from today, and I really thank you all for submitting your, you know, your little sound bites. It, it, it just goes to show that the, the amount that it actually means to people is way more, way more than in our regions. It's just, it just with that, just the fact that it's really hard to try and condense into such a short space of time. That that's just proof. It's just Latin 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 American are so passionate about Dragon Ball. Like I was thinking, I mentioned before, like uh, Dragon Ball and The Simpsons are like a very huge thing here, and it's part of the culture. Uh, but it's you know a, a good example is Pokemon, for instance. Like Pokemon is pretty much a part of everyone's culture nowadays. Like it's, it's something international and it's part of our lives, especially with uh, the release of Pokemon Go a few years ago. Uh, so that's that's kind of how it feels Dragon Ball here. It's like, it, it's something that exists. It's like something we could think of every single day. Like the final, the final fight of Goku versus Jiren, at least here was treated like a, a real fight like it was something like it was going to gonna happen like you you hyped this fight they hyped this fight so much like it was like a boxing match like a world title match it was like a real thing goku existed and he was protecting the universe that's how everyone felt at that time <laughs> so yeah it's like a very very huge thing wow just thanks for your you know input there next and just uh, and thank you alexandre marcos Zenobia, Javier, Alvaro, and Francisco, thank you so much for all of your contributions as well. And if you're listening out there from those regions, do let us know down in the comments, as well as being sure to rate and review this, uh, just to get the word out there that we love hearing from Dragon Ball fans across the world. It is really, really heartening to hear, and it is really good way of connecting people. We all love Dragon Ball here, and the fact is, it doesn't matter where you are. We all love to see Goku deck people in the schnoz and hit them really hard. Next, we we know that we briefly touched upon Dragon Ball R&R, but I think I remember the first time that I saw your work connected with mine, and that was during the reviews for Dragon Ball Super. And back in the last maybe... Uh, 20 episodes or so I had art challenges and it was um, one particular it was the pride trooper cowboy pride cowboys and uh, you did this image of the pride troopers as cowboys which was epic and now I'm I'm pleased to say I have I have it at my in my home so that was your initial contact with me through drawing and you pretty much, you all you do pretty much is draw. You live, eat, breathe it. It's it's amazing, your dedication to your craft. It's intense. And another one I really loved is the one that you did uh, in reply to the bang is down. Like, it's just Cell just going, eh, this thing. Bang is down. Oh. Oh, that, that four pen of coming. Yes. 
Many people know this and don't know that that's yours. It, it became a meme, but people like don't know that you are the one who did it. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that one. That one was just that one. I really loved, and I, I love the fact that became a mini meme of just the bang is down. Yeah, the fact is, and the fact is, no, in the manga, it doesn't happen. It's just an anime only thing, just to kind of remind people. Oh, hey, Ultimate Gohan had a bang. Let, let's put one on him there too. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. So it, it, the bang is down. Mm, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so most of the real the drawings of uh, Ranch have come from you. I mean, the original design was from uh, Malik Torihane, uh, the original concept for Ranch, but. Your drawings for Ranch have really helped, uh, as well as DBZ Trev, who is another artist we have on Dragon Ball R and R, and he's just a whiz kid who's basically the other half of Anime AJ. Essentially, those two are inseparable at conventions. Uh, but your your drawings of Ranch are some of my favorites. You also do the artwork for two comics that we did: the Day of Zidane and the Awakening of R. And I hope to be, once we can actually get back to doing conventions, showcasing to people The Awakening of R, just because that is a nice little kind of starter comic for anyone who doesn't know what Dragon Ball R and R is. So I suppose really next, I just want to kind of ask you, what, what's been your favorite drawing that you've done R and R related or anything to do with you know, the content I produce? Oh, mm, let me see. Let me see. Because, okay. Yeah. I remember having a lot of fun with the Pride Troopers drawing, specifically because I, I wanted to make Jiren stand out. And so I was thinking like, okay, what could help Jiren stand out from all these other guys? So I, I drew Jiren riding a dinosaur, a T-Rex specifically. Well, mission accomplished right there. It makes him stand out certainly because the anime failed to do that. Yeah, it was really fun. But then in R&R, I believe the most difficult to me, the one where I, where I had the most fun was Ranch's Room. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Yeah, th that one, that one's definitely my favorite. And I love the fact that you basically were just kind of showing off all the different kind of facets and all the details from like Toriyama's past. And just like the kind of thing that he would do for any kind of like artist work and stuff like that. It was just really, really cool to see. It became a blueprint for the other artists that, that draw, draw their own right now. Yes, of course. I mean, I think I know in episode five, that picture you did with like toddler ranch on like, you know, of, of Teen Gohan's like shoulders, that was been, that was recreated um, in episode five. My favorite sequence of R&R, the ones I, I worked on was the, the Raditz transformation, because I've always been a fan of Kaijus. So having, and of course, uh, the Ozaru transformation is also something I really, really like. Try to give my best at it. Well, I, I don't think I'm that good at drawing Dragon Ball. I still like put my 100% of that specifically, in that specific scene, sorry. And yeah, I like all the drawings from that section. I, I, I really, really, uh, I'm really happy with the final result. Nah, you should be, certainly, because I just love that shot of... Because on the cover for The Awakening of R, you know, on that, you know, that that digital-only one, because I know we'll be doing another one for the actual physical release, but the image I did use was just that shot of, like, you know, Raditz planning his, like, transformation, because it's just such an iconic shot. Yeah, it was really fun to, to draw. Another cut of two drawings I really like from what you've done uh, are the one for my what if Monarca what might have been 
So you're just like drawing <laughs> like a Saitama-esque Monaka. The fact is, though, you could easily do a story with Monaka and he actually genuinely is strong. He just doesn't know it, nor is he not able to handle it. And one you recently did for Yajirobe, because on my What yes. If Yajirobe Train Like Goku, that story I really loved doing because it was just one of those spur of the moment things. Because we've talked about it in the round table so many times, but you know, Yajirobe has the most potential out of any of the Dragon Ball characters. Yeah, of the of the dragon team, the other humans. And if he actually applied himself, he'd be right up there with Krillin, or maybe even stronger. Just like if he actually put his all into it. So it would just be really good to see him actually get motivated. And what you did there really quickly, I might say, just really encapsulated what I was trying to do. <laughs> yeah, well, I really like Joji Robe, so it was fun to work on it as well. <laughs> Also, I need to mention that Nex also uh, worked on a on a gi- on a wedding gift for, for for my good friend Ilona, and and she absolutely loved it. He's he's a talented beast, guys, and you should follow his every work because he's an amazing, passionate artist. And Nex, really, we just want to say thank you for having uh, joined us here up on the lookout. Just really getting yourself up here. It's actually it's a bit breezy, but yeah, other than that, it's really relaxed. You know, you just look at the world down below you. And just before we uh, wrap things up here, would you like to say, you know, where people can find you? Oh, yeah. Well, first, thanks for having me. It was actually really fun. And you can find my work on Twitter. Just look for Next Mania and you will find me. I'm posting a lot of drawings lately. I'm mostly drawing retro things like Astro Boy right now. (laughs) And you can find my comics on Tapas. Just by searching for Nexus Mania, you can watch my videos on YouTube here. I have my own channel and you can support my work and my comic career by supporting me on Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash Nexus Mania. <laughs> I guess that that's it. We'll be sure to put those down in the show notes for you. So once again, thank you so much for joining us, Nexus. And uh, thank you all for listening to this episode of Up on the Lookout. We have been Marcelo X, Havrock, and of course, Nexus Mania. If you have enjoyed the show, do really rate and review it on your respective platforms. It really does help support the channel. Or you can become a caretaker on the lookout by going to marsico.cc slash lookout and you'll be able to find all the information you need in that regard. So all that remains to be said is that I hope you're all doing well. Stay safe out there. And once again, until we come back to being up on the lookout, yeah, take it easy. Ta-ra! Look up to the sky. Look up to the sky.